And I think, really, we all have different ways of approaching prayer. Uh, some are good, some are not so good. And what we've done is, since we're all praying anyway, why not learn how to do it well? And that's what we've been doing. We've been looking at the New Testament, it's looking at Paul's prayers. But what Paul is doing in, in these things that we've been looking at is sharing with these other churches his own prayer life. And not just for like information's sake, so they're like, oh, cool, and then they stay the same. It's so that that would actually affect their own prayer life. Um, now, we've been, this is the last of a six-week series, and you can catch up, remind yourself, or whatever, all these messages, as well as other things, on this website here, redeemermcr.com slash prayer. There is a whole separate kind of practical prayer course, because what we've been doing on Sunday is talking about like theological content of our prayers. Um, the prayer course is more of like, how do we actually pray more? Like, how do we actually do the thing a little bit more? Uh, yeah, so if you want to get that, that'll be up there. Um, well, it'll just stay up there, basically. And this is our last message. It comes from the end of Paul's letter to the Romans. This little small section that Liz read for us, there's a lot going on here. So there's loads of things we can talk about. We're not going to talk about every single thing that we just heard, that we just read together. What we're going to focus on is God's work. We're going to focus on God's work. So we spent a lot of our life working, a lot of our life working, how can we be sure that what we're doing with our lives matters? Especially if you have a job where you're just like, oh, I don't even understand what I'm doing here. I get a paycheck, but other than that, I don't really know what I'm doing here. And not just, and also, not just your job, but all the other things that you work at. We work at loads of things, not just things that give us paychecks. Um, we want, I, I want to make sure that the things that I'm working at matters, that it stays, that it doesn't just kind of like vanish once I die. And also, even before I'm dead, I want my work to feel like it matters. I don't want to kind of live in that ambiguity thing of like, I don't know, does my life count for something? I'm not really sure. I mean, if you want to, you can just kind of let your life slide forward without asking big questions, without wrestling with meaning, without really like struggling through loving other people. But what God calls people to is something a little bit more than that, something that's more difficult and also more rewarding. And without Jesus doing his work in us, all the stuff we're about to talk about today is kind of, it's just like good ideas, but really nothing more than that. Jesus has to work in us in order for us to work this out, in order for us to do something other than just live a blissfully ignorant life. Because that's really easy to do. It's really difficult to live a life with meaning. And with Jesus, what we get to do is we get to jump into his work. We aren't like stuck in our own little work. We get to jump into what Jesus is doing, to join Jesus' mission in this world. That means we're going to be able to love people better than we did before. And that was we were going to be loved more than we thought was possible than previous. So that's what we're going to look at today. Let's jump in. The first of the three big areas that Paul speaks to in this um, section here in, verse, in chapter 15 is the first thing we're going to look at is preach the gospel. This is verse 20. It's a very churchy thing to say. This guy up front is going to say preach the gospel, right? Well, where, where does that come from? Um, let, let's see what Paul is saying here. Paul says in verse 20, and if you have a Bible or an app, keep it open. Uh, we're, we'll be looking at it. Next week, by the way, little side note, um, we'll be starting at 10 a.m., 10 to half 10. We'll do a little coffee morning thing. We'll be a little bit more like ourselves. And we'll have Bibles open. We'll have um, kind of book things in the back and coffee going on. So, But until now, sorry, we haven't been able to supply Bibles. So anyway, okay, verse 20. It has always been my ambition to preach the gospel where Christ was not known so that I would not be building on someone else's foundation. Of course, Paul's going to say that. That's Paul, right? Paul is writing this to a church for a reason, to a other people who aren't going to do the same things that Paul is going to do. He's writing to them for a reason. I think what we're going to learn here is uh, that for us in our prayer life is we should pray 
for opportunities for ourselves and for others, not just for ourselves, but for other people as well, to preach the gospel in new places. And the first thing we'll get to here before this main point, the pre-point, if you will, is to connect with people. If you don't know others, you're not going to be able to preach the gospel. If you don't listen to other people, why would they ever listen to you? Also, you won't know what words to say because you won't know how to connect the gospel to their lives. So before we can even really do any of this, we have to know other people well. Uh, if, if, if not, then it ends up just kind of being like a kind of distracting and annoying bullhorn out, like someone shouting something that doesn't really connect with someone's life. No one really wants to live that way. Uh, Paul is, um, Paul's ambition is for God to be made known where God isn't known yet. And that means in the lives of the people that he knows. And Paul has to know these people, as do we. How do we know what other people believe? Uh, how do we know if, where they are with Jesus, if they follow him or not, or if they like, really don't like him, or if they're kind of interested? Um, and if not now, did they ever have any kind of connection with Jesus at some point in their life? Like, what a, I, in all of my questions, of course, I'm the weird minister from America, and I get to ask weird questions. But every time I ask someone about their spiritual background, a very open-ended question, I've never had anyone say, oh, I'm like, completely offended you asked me that. Like, people rarely get asked that question, and they get to talk about it, and it's, it ends up being really often a really good conversation. Often what this means is asking a few really good questions and just doing a lot of listening. Now, not only people's spiritual background, but we also need to know people in order to know what it means to preach the gospel. Because if we aren't listening, we don't know them, we won't know the words to say, and we don't know what aspects of the gospel we're going to share, because the gospel is multifaceted. There's loads of aspects to it. And maybe also before going any further, let me say something about this word preach, because you probably think preaching is what I'm doing right now, and hopefully that's true. Um, but it's also not, le- not, it's more than this. It's not less than this, but it's, it's more than this. It, we all preach all the time. Preaching means to, to broadcast something, to be excited about something, to proclaim something. And we do that all the time. If you see a good film, you preach about it. If you listen to a, a, a great album, or I guess people don't listen to albums anymore, you listen to a good track on Spotify, you're like, oh, that's sweet. You share it with somebody. Like we share things all the time online. That's a form of preaching. You talk about your kids. That's a form of preaching. You talk about your partner, hopefully in really positive ways. That's a form of preaching your job, whatever the thing is, we all preach. Now, what we get to do as Christians, for those who are believers, in all our versions of preaching to also, on top of all those things, we also get to proclaim and broadcast how amazing Jesus is. Because if you've experienced Jesus in your life, that's actually an amazing thing. And to keep that to yourself, it, it not only is it going to hinder somebody else, it also hinders your own experience with it. Because if you saw something... Whenever I see, I'm, I'm a bit of a, like, an art house nerdy film guy. When I see a film that I really, really like, and I tell Christina, and there's, I mean, there's maybe, like, 0.1 seconds before she kind of rolls her eyes and goes, oh, this again. Um, I, I, when I talk with someone else who loves that same kind of film, it, it just makes me enjoy the film all the more. Same thing with horror film. I cannot wait to hear Katrina went to go see a couple good horror films, and I was like, oh, I really want to see those too. And when, I haven't seen them yet, but when we chat about it, I'm going to enjoy the thing more, and hopefully she will as well. That's just kind of how it works. And every person who's experienced a new life that we get from God also gets a mission, a different kind of mission in our life. And we, what we get to do is we get to share the amazing thing that's happened with us. We get to share that with other people. And God allows that to happen. God makes the way for that. Other people who are held back by guilt, who are held back by shame, we don't want people who we love to have their lives be dictated by guilt or shame. And we get to share the amazing news that frees them from that. 
Each person has a commission from King Jesus telling us to tell others about him, every single person. And our church thinks this is so important, so intrinsic to who we are as believers, that we don't just talk about it and make you feel really guilty and not lead any kind of way of like living it out, but we organize our church around it. It's what missional communities are for. Mission is part of the missional community so that we can live this out. Now, it's normally right now where people do start feeling really guilty. And you're like, oh, can we just move on from this, please? Like, the only thing worse than this could be talking about money and how you should be like giving money to the church or something like that. It's like money and evangelism are like the worst two things, right? I don't know if you're like that. I'm like that often. Now, maybe there's some good guilt in there because maybe you're like, ah, oh, maybe I should be doing more. Um, maybe you do need to do more, but probably not in the way that you initially think. You probably don't need to do more in the way that you initially think because we don't proceed in our own power. We don't proceed in our own passion. We proceed through something else because there's someone else we need to listen to, not just the people we speak to, but we need to be listening to God. We need to be listening to the Holy Spirit, God himself. Now, this kind of brings up what we learned about last week, that God gives us the strength we need through himself. He gives us all the fullness of all of God through the Holy Spirit in us, is what Paul taught last week. And also here we see this in, in verse 19. If you, if you have your Bible open there. Um, basically, Paul is talking about the things that he's done, verse 19, by the power of signs and wonders. So he's doing these kind of amazing supernatural things. How? Through the power of the Spirit of God. It's not like Paul was an amazing like, magician. It's that the power of God was working through him. The same thing with us. You have the power of the Spirit in you if you are a believer. And he's not there just so you can kick back and relax and feel like, oh, thank God I'm, you know, my eternity is like settled or something like that. He's there to give you the power you need to speak to people that God has put in your life and only you. We listen to the Spirit, we ask the Spirit, and we depend on Him, and He gives us what we need. He's not going to say, hey, you should do this and go sort it yourself. You should do this. I'm going to help you. That's, that's how God loves to work. I think most of the problems in my life have come from either to like, avoiding the Spirit or trying to get ahead of Him. Like, oh, maybe I'll do this thing and try and force it in there. Or, I know I should be doing something. I just kind of like, please let me think of something else so I don't have to do that thing because I'm really scared. But that's not why He's there. He's there for us to enjoy the way that He's working through us. Now, Paul here is talking about preaching in new places as well. Um, and I, think, I wonder, where are the new places in your life? New places are, are new people who don't know Jesus yet, is really what Paul's talking about. There are loads of new places here in South Manchester. Loads here in Charlton. Loads in Manchester. You aren't tasked with converting Manchester. But there are people God will put in your life to do something. Not to convert others, but to talk about God with other people. God does that work of converting. And this is why we have those 3-3 uh, three, three prayer cards. I don't have one up with me, but everyone has their... Uh, yes, a visual aid. Thank you. Um, that's why we made these things, to make it really easy to do this. You just put people who don't know Jesus yet. You can pray for them. P put people who do know Jesus. You can pray for them. And then uh, the back is uh, other like, kind of broader things. But if you see this every day, you're more likely to pray for those people every day because you're going to see them. Or you'll put it on the kitchen or your nightstand or whatever. We don't say nightstand here, do we? Bedside table? Is that? <laughs> Messed that one up. Oh, now they'll find out I'm American. Uh, now, if we're, um, another thing, if we're praying to preach the gospel in new places, this also means we're going to be praying for more churches to be planted. Now, this whole term of church planting, just to let you know what it is, is basically starting a new church. 
we are a church plant because we've started new about um, a little over three years ago. Um, and that's just kind of the term for starting a new church somewhere. It's like entrepreneurship plus the church equals church planting. A church is a center to equip people who are Christians to use their gifts for those inside the church and outside. It's a, 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 an outpost to broadcast this really good news to whoever wants to hear it, regardless of their background. It serves and loves the community, often doesn't get a lot from the community in return, and sometimes what you do get is you know, not ideal stuff either. So why do this thing? Because if you've been with Redeemer, as, as uh, Liz said, like from its infancy, from its inception, you know, it's actually like a whole lot of work. Why do this thing? Why, why are we spending our time doing this? Why did I choose a job like this instead of some cush job in, you know, the Midwest of America where everyone's a Christian and all the other kind of stuff? Because Jesus has chosen to work through his church for his purposes. And Jesus wants to be made known in places where he's not known yet. This is why we do this thing. It was one of the reasons. There are lots of other reasons, but that's one of them. Redeemer, not because any of us are awesome, but because God is working through us. Redeemer, Redeemer is chosen by Jesus to be a force for good in this world, to push back spiritual darkness and talk about what walking in the light is. And there are lots of places here in Charlton and South Manchester that still need what Jesus will deliver through us. If you're like, I'm not good enough for that. Yeah, you're right, you're not. But God will work through you, I promise. I promise he does. Have you ever read the Bible? Have you ever read the Old Testament? None of those guys are great. Even David was supposed to be, like, you know, amazing. Not so great. They're like war criminals, basically. And yet God still chose to work through them. If you aren't a war criminal, you're okay. How about that? We'll, just leave. we'll make war criminal be like the line. If you are a war criminal, well, we should have a chat, but you probably still, God can still work through that even. But let's talk about that. <laughs> I'm not sure if I have this quote up here. See, um, no, I don't. See Peter Wagner, who is a kind of church planting guru, theologian, author guy has a famous quote that church planters love to tell each other just to make sure, you know, we still think that we're awesome, basically. Um, but I think it's true. And I think it's what, what the, the Bible teaches, especially the book of Acts. Planting new churches is the most effective evangelistic strategy under the sun. That people will come to faith more likely through new churches than through established ones, like just percentage-wise. It's just kind of generally how it works. And we've seen people come to faith in our congregation. Not everyone has stayed with us, but like, we're not here to, to gather a large group. We're here to just be part of what God wants us to do. And we're going to be faithful to whatever that is. And so to plant a church requires you, every single one of you. I mean, maybe not in Northern Ireland, but I, mean, I guess actually in Northern Ireland, because I'm sure you guys have been praying for us. A church is not planted by a person. It's planted by Jesus through a community. And there's still things to do here. We're not going to rest. There's still loads of things to do here. We need elders in our church. We need other spiritual leaders. We'll need another missional community probably soon. Like, who's going to be part of that leadership team? We need people on Sundays to help serve, even if just like one Sunday a month. Have you ever think, actually, serving on a Sunday is a part of joining Jesus in, uh, in his mission to make this world new? You might not think, oh, setting up coffee. How is that really? Well, setting up coffee is one small part of welcoming people into, an, into a place where they may not feel very welcome to begin with. And it might be a cup of coffee and conversation is all that's needed to get the idea that actually we welcome people as Jesus welcomes us, with, basically with open arms. That's true of every single way that we have serving on Sunday. So if you're looking for deep community, worthwhile meaning, and spiritual richness, you're not going to get it from the sidelines. You can't really, as much as we love people on the screen, and we'll keep doing this, you can't really get it through a screen. 
You only get that when you involve yourself and also when you let the church serve you. Not just, we're not just asking people to give their life. The church will give its life to you as well. I know that takes time, and that's completely fine. We're patient. We're here for the long haul. But maybe ask yourself, what's the, small, the next small step for me or for my family? And as we do that, we pray for ourselves and for other people to preach the gospel. So we preach the gospel. The second thing that we're going to look at is in verse 30, to join in others' struggles through prayer. I'm just going to read verse 30 real quick. um, Paul says, I urge you, brothers and sisters, by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit, to join me in my struggle by praying to God for me. So we've said this a few times, but your prayer life is not just for you. God has put people in your life so that you will pray for them. I wonder if we're taking that responsibility seriously. I know I don't often. I have loads of neighbors that I think about often and, and care for, but probably don't pray for as nearly as, as much as I should. But to join with Paul in his struggle meant prayer. Now, Paul here, he's not asking for material things. He's not asking for uh, relational things. He's not saying, I, I want more friends. He's not saying, I wish I had more food or I wish I had more clothes or a house or something like that. He's asking for prayer. He asks for prayer because he knows that speaking to God actually changes things. That's really important for Paul. Of course, there are times when we need material things and we need a chat, we need a meal, we, and we just kind of talked about that at the previous, kind of a bit of the previous point. So we're not going back on that at all. But what Paul is talking about here is an emphasis on the power of prayer. Paul actually believes that prayer is actually powerful. He actually really believes that because he's spending time writing to these people that they would pray. I think often for ourselves, that's kind of lost on us. We think prayer is maybe a good thing to do if I have the time and, you know, if I feel like it. But actually, prayer itself is actually a massively powerful thing. Prayer is so powerful that to join into someone's struggle means to pray. It's not like an empty way of the thing that I know I say it loads of times. I wish we could do more than pray. Let me know what we could do. There's... Paul is saying, basically, that's the best you can do. If you do other things, that's great. The most powerful, effective thing you can do is to pray. So we join in Jesus' mission by praying. And the Holy Spirit works through us by praying for others in their struggle. This is a really good responsibility for us to have. The responsibility every Christian has is what Paul is talking about here. To join in with other people in their struggle by praying for them. I mean, to see someone struggling and not help to know the needs of others and offer like, only sympathy, that's just not the way of Jesus. Now, I know probably many, if not all of us, we all have passions in our hearts. And when we see people struggling in specific kind of situations, maybe um, homelessness or um, children without families or um, uh, other kind of struggles we might have, uh, people might have in their lives, it, uh, or, or even not just struggles, but positive things like the business community and entrepreneurship or the arts. These are all like, whatever, we all have these things in our hearts and, and they really, they press upon us. And those are really good things to keep pressed upon us. I, I don't, like, basically to go further in those struggles that God has already put in your heart is to bring it into prayer. They, they've been brought into our lives are we bringing it into prayer. We just speak to God about the whatever kind of areas that might um, weigh heavy on us, to ask what we need, to ask God for, for what other people might need, uh, to thank Him when things go well in those areas, to thank Him when things go well in, in other people's lives. I mean, if you really want to join in a struggle, bring it into your prayer life. 
if if you haven't prayed about it and you really care about it, I, I kind of really don't believe that you really care about it. And what Paul is um, actually praying specifically for here is to guard against persecution from those outside the church and being ostracized from those inside the church. If you notice in verse 31, um, he kind of does it in a very, um, uh, very polite way. Verse 31, pray that I may be kept safe from the unbelievers in Judea. Okay, that makes sense. So outside religious persecution. And that the contribution I take to Jerusalem may be favorably, favorably received by the Lord's people there. So the only reason why he would ask them to pray for the people who are already part of the church, that he would be favorably received, would be the possibility he's going to not be favorably received. So there's persecution outside and also ostracism within. Now, we don't have loads of time to get into both of those things today, um, but there are obvious places in the world where following Jesus means your life isn't safe. I mean, Afghanistan should be like the closest thing in our minds. But also, we don't live in a religiously tolerant society. I mean, people say that they are, but I was just talking to Will this morning. This week, I've just gotten multiple people trolling me online, talking about all the things I should do to myself and how horrible I am and how I hate all sorts of different kinds of people. I get that from time to time. It's kind of what it means to be a pastor. But it's just, it's, we do not really live in a religiously tolerant society. And I think people in Afghanistan who will still gather together, even though it costs them their safety, it costs them their comfort, I think they have a lot to teach us there about what it means to live out your faith in a hostile environment. So there's the outside thing, yeah. But there's also the ostracism within the church, because that's what Paul's also praying for. So if you've ever felt like the church was some kind of inside track, some kind of impenetrable kind of world that you just couldn't get in and people really wanted to keep you out. Paul, the world's best church planter, the world's best theologian, the author of most of the New Testament, felt that too. He's with you. If there's anyone who should have been received, right? It should have been Paul. And of course, you don't really have to think very far to be like, what about Jesus, God himself? He was ostracized from everybody and put to death for it. But for Paul, persecution from the outside, possible ostracism from the inside, it didn't stop him from pursuing what God wanted him to do. We're all going to have that, outside and inside. That would probably always be going on in some way or another. But it's not, it should not stop us from doing what God has already placed in our hearts to do. And let's um, you know, think about the people in your life who have been struggling with faith. Maybe through persecution, maybe through ostracism in the church, maybe they've had a horrible past with the church. Loads of people I speak to have. What can you really, what can you do to help, really? Little old you, like how in the world can you help somebody like that who's been hurt or been abused like spiritually or, or all the other horrible things that the church, unfortunately, has had a history of in some ways? Well, you can pray. You can pray to the Lord who commands the armies of angels and is now holding together everything we see in our eyes through his power. And he will work. And you might find, this is the scary part, you might find he's actually going to work through you. Maybe that's a reason to not pray. Because if I'm going to pray this, oh, God, you're going to make me do something loving. I really don't want to do that. (laughs) All right, so we preach the gospel We join other struggles through prayer. And then uh, lastly, we pray for joy, refreshment, and peace for all. These are the last two verses here in uh, chapter 15. Um, Paul's talking about uh, joining him in the struggle, um, being kept safe outside, inside. And then he says in verse 32, there's a reason for here. What's the reason for all this? So that 
I may come to you with joy by God's will and in your company be refreshed. And he kind of ends on this kind of blessing that God of peace be with you all, talking to the church. So joy, refreshment, and peace. Who doesn't want that? Joy, refreshment, and peace. Like, sign me up. That's cool. Like, everyone is looking for that. Every single person in this room and outside there, we're all looking for joy, refreshment, and peace. But um, let's talk about first what those words mean, the way that Paul talks about it. The joy that Paul's talking about is a joy that transcends circumstances. So it means that we can have a joy that is beyond whatever is happening immediately in our life. Who doesn't want that? Everybody wants that, right? The refreshment that Paul's talking about here, um, it's this ability, another actually way to translate that word is relax. So an ability to relax with other people, to not have to like put on a, all the anxiety and pressure and energy that goes into like curating your face so you look like normal on a Sunday. You don't have to do that. You can just relax, regardless of whatever your resting face might look like. <laughs> and you don't have to edit. I mean, have you ever done this? I know maybe after the fact. Um, you say something like, oh, I shouldn't have said that. Or before the words come out, you have to like self-edit in your head. Like, that's just, that just takes a lot of energy. Like, around the people of God, you don't really have to be like that. I know probably religious people have taught you you had to, but you don't have to be like that. And the peace that Paul is talking about here is one that comes from God and allows us to live in harmony with him and each other. And harmony is a perfect word for this word here, for peace. Because harmony, when you think about it, you need multiple notes. Michael and Hannah will be singing in a bit. They're going to be singing different notes at different times. And they're different. There's a diversity there. But the notes together sound better than if they were to sing the same thing in, in unison at the same time. So there's different notes, but sung in a way which is more beautiful. When you hear a good harmony, you want to be around it. When you hear a bad harmony, you do not want to be around it. Unless they're like little kids putting on some kind of, you know, Christmas thing. Uh, no, they sound beautiful, right? Uh, no, but when you're around like a good, it just sounds really good. Even like yesterday when we were playing um, at the precinct, we were singing for Reach Out to the Community, and there's some songs we discovered we could sing a three-part harmony with. It just sounded good, and we wanted to play the song again. I don't know about anybody else listening. I think they did too. Who knows? Who cares? Um, we were the ones with the, the speakers. But it, it, it's just, it feels good because it just feels right. So you need a diversity in order to be unified. Otherwise, it's just sameness. That means harmony requires diversity, a difference in each other that makes us better together. Jesus brings us into the harmony of the Trinity and the harmony of his church. Good harmonies sound good, they feel good. So that's joy, refreshment, and peace. It's a little bit of the background of what they are. And the precursor here uh, to getting these things, Paul says, so that I may come to you. He wasn't getting it when he was away from them. He was looking forward to it when he was with them, like present, there, with them, like physically. We can't get that through a screen. I can't sing harmony with someone who I can't hear or see. And this is really, it's a commitment to be present. Paul here, he's going all out to be present with these people. It was really costly. Uh, it was um, dangerous. And you, Paul was shipwrecked multiple times before this. And maybe he was thinking, oh, I might get shipwrecked again. But I really want to come to them still. It was more than the idea of waking up and being kind of like, oh, I don't know. You know, that, that's what we have. Paul had to like, you know, plan in advance for a travel of like months in order to be with people. It was a massive undertaking. The church in Afghanistan knows that if they gather together, they're going to be persecuted, most, pot, like, most likely martyred at some point, but they still gather. And this is true at the least of like our formalized meeting times that we have together, Sundays and missional communities. And this, if we're honest, 
will be difficult for everybody because our community muscles have gotten flabby. They've gotten, they've atrophied. It's like you haven't, if you've, if you've ever had a cast and you haven't used that muscle and then you take the cast off and you're like, whoa, it looks weird. It looks all kind of shrivelly because it's small and you just haven't worked it for a while. And, and it, we should not expect to be, go from zero to 100% back in the community. It takes a while. There's physio that needs to be done. You know, we need it, and, but physio can't be done halfway. You have to kind of be all in in order for it to work. So it's going to take some time, and that's fine. But that's like the, this is the path that we're on so that we can be present with each other so that we can experience this joy, refreshment, and peace that, that God gives through his church when they're together. I mean, if there is a missional community meeting and you're not there, you miss out, but so do the other people that God wanted to bless through you being there. Like, every one of us has a responsibility. Maybe someone needed a sense of joy that God wanted you to bring, not by saying anything great, but just kind of being there and chatting. God's peace, God's harmony requires all of us. Now, if there isn't joy, refreshment, and peace, probably loads of us have been, myself included, in churches or other kind of organizations that do not bring that, that say they are, but they're really not bringing that. Um, that's a good indicator that something's wrong, that something's wrong. Missional communities, Sundays, they're hard work, yeah, but they should also, there should be an element of fun. Like when we're experiencing this, this is, it's fun, it's joyful. So when something doesn't feel this way, something might be off. It could be the thing itself, or it could be you, or it could be both. It could be all, any of those things. If, if it's the thing itself, it might be like, oh, maybe if people are just kind of doing this out of some kind of religious duty and not getting like the joy out of it, maybe we should mix things up. Or maybe we should ask other people, oh, how are you experiencing this in a way that will allow them to honestly answer. But it's also if our own lives aren't matching up with the gospel and you're continually living in a way that doesn't connect with how Jesus has told us to live, that's just kind of a miserable life. I think the worst kind of lives are like the one-half Christian lives where you're sort of Christian but not, which means whenever you're around Christians, you feel guilty, and then when you're not around Christians, you don't really feel like the love of Jesus. Uh, there, there's also like a lack of joy if you just kind of like keep jumping around from thing to thing and not really being consistent or committed. It requires really all of us to be all in, just like a family would be. You can't say, I'm not going to be a sister anymore. I guess you can, but when those times happen, that's, that's, that rips families apart, doesn't it? That's not ideal. But the best thing is if I'm a brother or a sister or a dad or whatever, like, you just are the family because that's who you are. Not because you're doing anything particularly brotherly. Of course, it's a good thing to do if you're a brother in a family. But being part of a family is just a part of your identity, who you are. So the way to experience joy, refreshment, and peace is in the context of a church community, not, not a church service, although hopefully there's elements of that here, but a church community, which is like a set of relationships. And if we're not around each other enough to have any kind of deep relationships, we're really not going to get this kind of thing that Paul was so excited to get. I mean, Paul, it, these things for Paul were much better than undertaking the massive travel thing he had to sort out. This requires a giving of ourselves to others, and it's not just something that we can consume. It's an all-in kind of thing. So when you're all in, church isn't just kind of an option among many, it's just a reality of who you are. Church, like participating in the church. So next time you think to yourself, yeah, maybe I should stay home or, you know, whatever that little voice might tell you, just don't listen to it because you're going to miss out on the joy and the refreshment and peace that God wants you to have. Now this, for you, I don't know what it might mean for you as you're sitting there. It could be joining in consistently on a Sunday. If this is something new for you, um, that's an amazing step. Like that, that's it. I, 
it's pretty easy to do. It could be um, helping out once a month on Sundays or, or in your missional communities. Or if you're not part of an MC, uh, to join in and, and um, join in some of those relationships. Or if you are, it could just be you know, finding one person in your missional community who you're going to text like once a week to just ask how their prayer life is doing or how their Bible reading is going or like what, how you can pray for them. Really, like just the best kind of things to do or whatever, whenever the bar is the most low, is the one where it's easiest to walk over. Just find the lowest, next common, like, easy bar to walk over. It doesn't have to be something massively super spiritual. I've found, really, like, most of discipleship and most of mission is just telling people to hang out with each other. I think if we did that a lot, it would actually cover, like, solve a lot of things. Just hang out with each other. Now, I do need to say this, because sometimes you can't make it, because I, I don't want people to get unnecessary guilted here. Sometimes you can't make it to a thing because you're physically unable to. That is completely fine. Completely I know people are watching this live stream who are not able to leave their house or they have other kind of difficulties and they're not going to be able to make it here on a Sunday. That, that's the best that is going on. That's fine. Also, sometimes maybe you've had a hard week. Here's a big question. I've had a hard week. Should I go to a missional community meeting or not? Because I really feel like I need some rest or like uh, I need to get some refreshment or something like that. How do I decide what to do? That's a big question. I don't know what the answer is because I don't know your life. I don't know how you're, how you're living your life. I don't know how difficult your life was, or that week was. But sometimes it might mean staying home, sometimes not. God will know. If you ask him, he'll, you know, he'll give you some kind of indication probably. But if you stay home every time you've had a hard week, that means the only time you're around other people who are Christians are when you're doing great. That's not good. It's really not good. I think it's actually really good for someone to go to some kind of meeting, whether it's Sunday or during the week, and to just tell someone, you know what, I'm going to be a bit grumpy today. I don't really want to chat. I'm just going to sit myself on the sofa. I'm not really going to say anything. I'm just going to hang out. That is completely fine. Grumps are just as welcome as Little Miss Sunshine, right? And probably, if we're honest, we're a lot more grumpy before walking into someone's house than we put on the face for for the couple hours, whatever. Then we leave, and then we're grumpy again. And then our partner's like, why were you so happy then? Well, now you're just a horrible person when you're at home. Like, if we got to show our true selves grumpy, that's completely fine. It's not like I've never been around someone who's not grumpy before. It's not like Christina's never been around someone who's not been grumpy before. We all know what that's like, and that's completely fine. Our churches ought to have people who are grumpy and excited to be there, because then it shows that actually we're, we're being who we really are. And I guess at the end of this, I'll, maybe I'll just end with this before harping too much on some of these things. You need community more than you think you do, and the community needs you more than you think it does. Without you, that community is less. That harmony won't be as strong. And also, you're going to miss out on that. And you really need it in your life. And when we play both down our need for community through the church and, uh, and our requirement to be there, we play both down, we wonder why we're not fe- feeling joy, refreshment, and relax in the company of others. See, the church really is God's gift to give you those things. So as we pray about it, Let's also have it work into our lives, as a, like, work out um, into our, how we live our daily lives. It is a much more difficult life, but it's much better. It's much better. Now, if this is what our church is reaching for, I'm not saying we're this all the time. This is an ideal that we're reaching for. We're a, we're a work of progress, as everything is. But if this is like, to live it out. Now, all of what we just talked about, it really can just be a lot of hot air and empty words, especially if this is where it ends, in my life or in your life. And if this isn't true or real, unless, it, all, actually, none of this, 
of all we just talked about, is not true and real unless Jesus is who he says he is and did what he did. So Jesus, who's God himself, came to earth. He preached the gospel to us first. We don't preach first. He preaches to us first. It's his good news. He, he is the good news. Before we join anyone else's struggle, he joined ours. The only way we have a chance anywhere to join in anyone else's struggle is because Jesus joined our struggle. We were lost, not in harmony with God, and that messed our whole lives up. Jesus took all that holds us back, our sin, upon himself, and we can be forgiven. And through his resurrection and ascension, he continually invites us to join in his work in this world of seeing the broken restored, seeing that those who lack joy get joy, those who need refreshment to find it in Jesus, those who are out of sync finally to be harmonious. And he is our joy, he is our refreshment, he is our peace through his church is how he delivers these gifts. But this is only possible through Jesus' life, his death, his resurrection, and his ascension. So as we look back and remember anew what it cost Jesus to buy us to himself, we're grateful. We're humbled. We realize we are not God, and that's actually really, really good news. It's really good to not be God when you're not him. We get to relax into God. Now, the Lord's Supper is something that followers of Jesus do. You have these under your, your chairs. Every follower of Jesus is a forgetful follower of Jesus. We forget all the time. The way I know this is because Jesus and the Bible tells us all the time to remember over and over and over again. We're forgetful people. And so we need to be in a process of remembering who we really are, who he really is and what he's done for us through the cross. 